0: Good morning. Well I hope you meant what you just sang and I hope I meant what I just sang. I think I did and uh, that's a very fitting song for what we're going to be talking about this morning. If you want to join us uh, Romans chapter 2 is where we've been working our way through uh, for several weeks. We took a little short detour last week. Um, Still had to do with Romans chapter one. Today we are kicking off Romans chapter two. I would assume we'll be in this uh, for at least three weeks, uh, possibly four. And before we even begin reading, uh, I want to do a little game. All right, hey, a little game. When I had class. You know, class always enjoyed when we start with a game. Because I was that guy that as soon as the bell rang, you know, I wanted to start teaching. And then after the bell rang, I kept wanting to keep teaching. The other teachers would understand, I got to finish, you know. Y'all know me by now. so. um, But hey, a little game. Okay, that's great. Well, this little game that I've invented. Now, here's the key. I don't want to do this to stir up resentment or bitterness and this is not to start on a negative tone, though you're going to say, man, you're starting on a negative tone. There is a reason for our little game. Okay, I've kind of made it up. I'll ask questions, and you just answer them inside. All right, inside as I ask these questions. The title of the game is, Does It Irritate You Win. All right, that's the title. So I'm going to ask some questions, and you just kind of answer and play along inside yourself. Again, does it irritate you Win i got nine of these. You ready? Does it irritate you when the light turns green and the car in front of you just sits there? Thousand one, thousand two, thousand. You don't want to hit the horn? 1,004, are you kidding me? And now people behind you are starting to hit the horn. But doesn't it irritate you a little more when you know why? Because you see their heads looking down, and then you see them... Oh, and then they skirt through and you didn't quite. You know what they were looking at, right? Yeah, on the phone. Does that irritate you? Okay. Keep that theme going. Does it irritate you when they're not only looking at their phone at the red light, but when you drive by and you see the person with one arm on the wheel and the other, and they're just kind of smiling, getting the biggest old kick out of whatever's on their phone, or they're texting and driving. Does that irritate you? Yeah, I got quieter there. Keep the traffic theme going. Does it irritate you when someone nearly causes an accident because they honestly think their schedule is more important than everybody else's safety? Does it irritate you when the paid referee totally blows the call? I mean, the obvious call against your team. You saw it in real time, and the the, the replay just makes it that much more obvious. Are you kidding? You were right in front of it. What are they paying you for? Now we don't mind when it hurts the other team, but boy, when it's against our team, that's irritating. Does it irritate you when you've helped someone and they fall right back into the same old sin? It's kind of like, but we we talked about and we gave you the tools and you were supposed to, and you were supposed to call me. It's like, ah. All right. Does it irritate you? Does this irritate you? When you can tell someone really thinks they're the stuff because they had a good performance. They, they closed the deal or they were the high scorer that night or they, they just had a good day. It was a good day and that's wonderful, but you can kind of tell they got the strut. Like, they think they're all that now. That, that kind of like, irritates you. Here's another one. Does it irritate you when someone does the opposite of what they said? Does it irritate you when you have done something nice for someone and they don't even so much as say thank you back? Does that kind of irritate you? One more. Does it irritate you when people live their lives like God doesn't even exist or like God's not, if he does exist, he's not watching? Does that kind of, whole segments of society, does, does that bother you? You're like, man, that is kind of a negative game. You had us kick off there with, I, I'm all riled up now. Would you look with me at Romans 1? You'll see why we did that little exercise. Look at verse number 1. Uh, I cannot go back and re-preach the message from two weeks ago. But if you have your Bible open, on the screen will be Romans chapter 2. But if you, if you have your Bible open, and, and you can just glance back very quickly to Romans 1, verse number 28... Paul said, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, in other words, I just don't want to really have God in my life. I'm not going to acknowledge Him, not what the song we just said. I'm not going to surrender to Him. So." God gave them up to a debased mind. Now look at, just glance through verse 29, 30, 31. There's like 20, 21, 22 different sins. You see a bunch of them. Unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossip, slander. slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. all that stuff and that's not even counting the ones that were listed before that in verses 24 to 28. So with that in mind, and in light of our little game we just played, look at verse number 1 of chapter 2. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. And right now you're saying, now that's not fair, you set us up. Verse 1 continues. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things, as chapter 1 talked about. Do you suppose, old man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? Hey, now we're getting serious. Do you suppose you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, but because of your hard and impenitent heart, the words there behind that that phrase, hard and impenitent heart, literally what is it? Um, uh, oh, I forgot it. It's uh, oh sclerosis. That's the word. That's the idea. Literally hardening of the arteries. Just hardening up. That's what he's talking about in verse 5. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment, watch the last three words of verse 5, will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. And then a very confusing and controversial section of Scripture is coming. Verse 7. He'll render each one according to his works. To those who by patience in well-doing, the idea of continuance in well-doing, to those by patience in well-doing seek for glory, God's glory, and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth. Watch verse 8. Those, here's what's going to happen. Those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, unrighteousness calls, they obey, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil. The Jew first, and also the Greek but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. The Jew first, and also the Greek. That's us Gentiles, that's the idea of the Greek. For God shows no partiality. There's a lot of ways to outline this particular passage, a very controversial passage, one I kind of struggled with for most of the week. And I know bless her heart. Renee was probably thinking. When's he going to get me those notes. I got to make some screens. And just it just took me a while. I actually preached on this passage. Eight years ago. And used a whole different outline. So there's a lot of ways you can look at it. I read some other guys. Just kind of make sure I'm on the right track. Um, but here's what I concluded. I think what Paul is saying is. That the person who lives this life. And never surrenders to God. They will wake up in hell one day, and the catch this, the reason they will be there is because they made some wrong assumptions. I think that's what the the whole theme of this passage. They made some very wrong assumptions. They made three wrong assumptions that we could call them miscalculations. Title of the message today is spiritual miscalculations. I'm going to say it's this. I'm talking about major miscalculations have been made, and that's what Paul is saying. A lot of people are in hell today because they made one or two or all three major, I'm not talking about where you forgot to include tax when you were doing your calculating. Oh, I forgot that tax. Or, oh, I forgot to do the shipping. Or, well, I wasn't counting on that. If it hadn't been for those meddling kids, I would have got away with it, right? I'm not talking about that miscalculation, right, where you get caught by Scooby and Shaggy and the gang. I mean a major one that's going to affect your whole eternity. That's what Paul's doing. I don't know if you caught them. They're not worded the way they're going to be worded on your handout, but here's what I want to offer to you today. Three major spiritual miscalculations, three major misassumptions that people have that causes them to end up in hell. Number one comes out of verses 1 through 3. Here it is. Ready? Others are worse than I am. But others are worse than I am. You say, well, I'm glad that that's not one of mine. Let's put ourselves to the test. Look at verse 1. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. We can see that. Surely they're going to pay for that. God is going to make them pay for that. Verse 3, Paul says, but do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, do you suppose that you will escape the judgment of God? This passage is written to the moral person But they're actually a moral hypocrite Because they set themselves up as other people's judges Here's what, here's what this is This is the person that comes up as Paul is, is, is either sitting or standing in Corinth Writing this red letter to the, to the believers in Rome Comes up and says, hey Paul, what you writing? Well, oh, I'm just finishing out And they didn't have chapter divisions Ooh, wow, that's a, quite a list of sins You, you tell them, Paul Man, you tell them, you're right, man. That's just, that's awful. You, you keep it up, brother. I'm with you. It's the moral hypocrite. Now, by the way, let's make it real clear. It is not that this person does not admit that they're a sinner. It's not that they say, hey, I'm perfect. Watch this. Oh, yeah, I'm a sinner. And they even may feel bad about it. But they don't want you to get the wrong, now, don't get the wrong idea. By my admission yeah, I've got some things to work on, but hold on. I'm not as bad as them. And it has different forms. Let me offer some forms. Here's one. All right, all right, hang on. I might have thought it. I might have even wanted it. I might have watched it. But I didn't do it. They did it. I only thought it. I only wanted to do it, but they did it. Here's another version. I only did it one time. They do it all the time. I only did it one time. Here's another version. Sure, I may struggle with envy. Who doesn't? Coveting. And and yeah, I, I, I am in the middle of some strife, and it's very selfish on my part, and there's always... Bickering and arguing, arguing around me. And yeah, I do have a problem. And, and I do have some deceit and I have some real issues with my tongue. I, I, okay, I struggle with gossip and slander. And I may be a little boastful or disobedient to parents, but come on, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm not guilty of adultery or homosexuality or murder. I mean, come on, they're worse than I am. That's what this says. And the assumption is surely God knows this about me and He's going to take that into account and He's going to let me slide because they're really bad glance at verse 1 one more time therefore you have no excuse O man every one of you who judges for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself so what does that mean Paul's point listen carefully put yourself to the test If you have ever looked at someone else and correctly ascertained that they committed something wrong and they committed a sin, then you have absolutely no defense before God. Here's why. You have shown you have the ability to spot sin. You can spot sin. So here's the problem. If you saw it in just a moment by looking at someone else's life, then you are now guilty because you have the full sample of your life and you should see it all in your life. You could spot it in one hour with that person or I can look at one post. Wow, look at them. They've really got problems. What about you? You got the whole life of yourself to look at. Well, they're really bad. My stuff's not that bad. That's how we cover that. I remember very clearly. I don't know why I remember this. I grew up in a double-wide home and later on I remember we put house siding and a house roof and house windows And we built a little office and a room for my grandmother And attached it on there But basically at its core it was a double wide trailer One of the big ones back in the 70's I remember the little wooden round table It was oval I think I know where I was sitting We said where are you going I remember a time It didn't happen a lot but we were all there And it was the evening And we were having our evening meal prayer Praying over the meal And because of how we had been taught, when the prayer was over, I had to. I had to tell mom and daddy that Russell had his eyes open while we were praying. They needed to know this. Because it's wrong. We've been told. Russell had his eyes open. Oh, he did. So we look at verse number one and you say, so Jeff... Is this saying it is sinful to discern sin? Boy, a lot of people take this passage and and other passages like in Matthew where Jesus says something. And here's what they'll say. They'll conclude, "Ah, don't judge me. Which means I have license to do anything I want. And I can go around and tell everybody I'm a Christian even though there's nothing in my life that says I'm a Christian. You can't judge me. Okay, let me tell you something. This passage is not saying it is wrong to discern. Jesus says, you will know them by their fruit. In other words, look for fruit. But what it's saying is, it is wrong to spot sin in other people, but you have the exact same things in your life. Now, that is wrong. Galatians 6, chapter 1, I think it is. Brothers, when a man be overtaken in a fall, you which are spiritual restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Hey, man, I'm not not your judge. I'm not condemning, but I'm noticing this. Everything okay right there, man? I'm feeling like, can I pray for you about this? Come along beside them and help them and then be willing when you're out of line to take correction and accountability from brothers and sisters in Christ. You remember that little game we started with? You know where those nine things come from? me, every one of them I've done and I am more guilty than the people that I have judged because I know better on every single one of them I have been at the red light before and, and, and then realize, you know somebody else is going or they're going and I'm, I'm like oh man I just feel terrible I'm like sorry. And I'm, I'm, I'm like I want to slow way down or speed way up, I don't want to have to face the people I'm like I blew it Man, I'll, I'll get on referees. How can you possibly? But when I coach PE, I would referee PE games. I mean, the games are slow when you're talking about seventh, eighth, and ninth graders playing basketball, and the kids get all mad at me like I'm showing favoritism. I'm like, guys, I promise. I didn't see it. That's a foul. You're letting them get away with it. I'm like, well, it's hard. Hard to be the referee, but I'll, I'll get them on them in heartbeat if they judge wrongly against my Tar Heels, right? Or your Tigers, or your Gamecocks. Y'all remember this? Do you remember this encounter? David the king, the man in the Old Testament, I mean, loved David, but he, he, he was away from the Lord. You remember when Nathan the prophet came up? And he tells David, said, David, let me tell you something. Yeah, what's going on? Here's the man of God talking to the man of God. Here's the prophet talking to the king. And Nathan says, yeah, there's this man, and he has all these flocks and herds, Many, many, like thousands, yeah. And then he's neighbor to a man who had like one little lamb, yeah. Well, the guy with all the flocks and herds, he had a visitor come and he wanted to have a nice meal for the visitor. And so what he did is he went and took his neighbor's one little lamb, killed that for the meal. David got ticked. What? That's horrible. Who is he? You. And he realized... David could have had any woman in the kingdom he wanted. Uriah had one wife that he loved, and David stole Uriah's one one wife and committed adultery, and then had Uriah killed murder. What David is, what Nathan was showing David is, you can spot sin, you just hadn't turned that ability on yourself to see it in yourself. That's wrong. And here's the conclusion. I'm gonna to move to point number two, but you need to hear this. Many, not a few, many people are in hell today because they honestly thought in this life other people's sins are worse than mine and God's going to let me slide. They're really bad. I have some bad things. I'm working on it, but not that bad. They're bad. Number two, write this down. Second false assumption, second major miscalculation. Things will always be like they are right now. Things will always be like they are now. Can I tell you who that's true of this morning in this room? Let that sink in. Things will always be like they are now. That is true of no one in this room. Some of you hear that and you think, that is comforting to know things will not always be like they are now. Others, that is a frightening thing. Things will not always be like they are No, Look at verse number four. Paul says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your heart and, and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. We got a lot of words there. I could really bog down and we could have stopped the message after the first point. Save the other one for next week, but I'm going to keep moving. There's three thoughts, though, in verses 4 and 5. We need to kind of identify what is it talking about. Verse 4 starts with this kindness, this kindness of God. And since I think you guys know about the kindness of God, as has many layers, many forms. I'm not going to bog down there. Just know that God is kind to you all the time. The breath you just took, that was from God. The meal you had this morning, your ability to walk in here today, your ability to sink, that is from God. Your family, that's from God. The job, the income, whatever. You say, I'd like more income. The income you do have, all of that's from God. God is good. So what is this forbearance? Because Paul says, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? Write this down. Forbearance, God's forbearance gives the idea of a temporary truce between two warring sides. So here's the picture. Here's what's happening. There are two sides that are at war. But the problem is, you got to get, get what I'm saying here. The one that started it is the small, little, weak one. And they are going to be destroyed. They will be destroyed. But the powerful one that did not start it, who's going to end it, they have to deal with this. You attack them, offended, and you just continue to attack. But here they are. They could bring the hammer at any time. But they withhold because they want to allow time for surrender. I want you to give up. I don't want to do this, but you're attacking me. You need to surrender. I want not allow time for life. I want peace to come between us. That's what Paul is talking about. That's the forbearance of God. God is the powerful one. Here's mankind offends God and attacks God with our sin. And so God continues to give us kindness. He's holding back. He's called a temporary truce to allow us time to surrender because he wants life and peace for us. Verse 4 also has another term. It actually heard before that or do you presume on what is presume on to presume upon something means to take it for granted there's our point it means to make the wrong assumption that things will always be as it has been Paul is trying to tell us me you this morning strongly he's teaching us God listen God's kindness God's forbearance God's patience will not always last it will come to an end it will run out, so you need to let it draw you toward repentance. What he's describing is the spiritual equivalent of walking on thin ice. I've never done that, but there are people who, there's a reason we use that phrase. Hey, get, get away from there. Oh, it's fine. No, man, that's dangerous out there. You need to get away. No, every February, I know that we can all walk on this. I did this when I was a kid. You need to get off of that, man, You're walking on thin ice. You're presuming that it's going to be the same. Not calculating we've had a warm February. Oh no, no. I know, I've done this. Here's another one. Russian roulette. I don't know why anybody invented that, The stupidest, thing. I'm sure they were drunk. <laughs> Got six chambers? Put a live shell in there. Spin it around. Guess what? Every single time, there's only a one in six chance. Something bad's going to happen. Only a one in six chance. Now, the person could say, true, the odds are that if I do it six times, one of them I'm going to kill myself. But every time I do it, there's only a one in six chance. You are being foolish. You're presuming that the next one's not the live shell. Guys, what Paul is describing is the person who just keeps enjoying the blessings, the kindness, the forbearance of God. He must be okay with it. He's still blessing me. We're in a peace time, it appears. God knows what I'm doing, and we just keep on sinning and sinning. The evidence of the wrath of God is all around us. I was in a graveyard on Friday doing a graveside service. By the way, the wrinkles on your face, that's a, that's a sign. The gray hair on the side of our head or that dominates our hair, that's a sign of the wrath of God. We have corrupting bodies. They are dying. That's just the fact. But what is equally true is that the wrath of God, here's the thing, here's what makes it hard. The wrath of God is rarely seen immediately. Just doesn't happen immediately. In fact, often large sections of time are elapsed between the committing of a crime and the paying of the penalty. In fact, in this life, sometimes people seem to get away with doing the, the crime. They're never pay. How are they getting away with that? I think of the Old Testament, what, five, 6,000 years ago, God literally destroyed everything on the planet except eight people by a flood. How many remember how long he held back before the flood? Does anybody remember? It's an odd number. It's not a, not a round number. hundred and what? Anybody? 120 years. Well, I guess it took that long for, for Noah to build the ark. Noah could have built the ark a lot faster than 120 years. He was preaching, repent, retur- you know, return to the Lord. We are sinful. God is going to destroy. But here's the thing. It's never rained. It's always going to be like it is right now. For 120 years, they kept putting him off and putting him off. He was calling them to turn. No, God's fine. We're still blessing. Look, the crops are still growing. The animals are doing fine. Plenty to eat. Poor old Noah's wasting his life. Don't ever assume that God, listen, I'm talking to us now. Don't ever assume that God's goodness and forbearance and patience equals God's unconcern for sin. He must be all right with it. He keeps on being good to me. Because the flood came. Of course, our other word in verse number four, can't spend long on it. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? You just presume it's always going to be like that? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. A lot of talk and a lot of preaching on repentance. What does it mean? Uh, and I don't do this for any other reason. I have a very specific reason. The word, and I don't even know how to pronounce it, but the word I think would be something like metanoah or metanoa. So what does that mean? Meta, we talked about this a couple weeks ago on a Wednesday night. Meta is like metamorphosis. It's where the caterpillar changes into a butterfly. Meta. So the, the, the word here brings two concepts together. Meta change. No, Al. What's that? Mind. And I know what we do. We preachers say, change the life. I'll tell you, the life, and you're going to see that in today's text, the life will change if the mind truly changes. Repentance is a change of the mind. You say, change about what? You got to listen right here. Somebody here today, you need this. This, is the main, this may be the main thing for somebody here. You need to change your mind about sin. Stop doing this. Other people have bad sins. Mine aren't that bad. You better change your mind about that. But God's still being good to me. I got plenty of money in the bank and we're all healthy right now and the tires are good on the car. It's fine. Just got new roof on the house, new siding, new plumbing. We're set. Don't let the kindness of God fool you into thinking it will always be like that. If you think, well, other people have really bad sin, God's going to let mine slide. You better change your mind about your sin. If you think, well, I admit I've sinned, but I can do enough good to counter my sin, you better change your mind about that because that's wrong. Here's another big one. I believe Jesus died on the cross, and I know he died to pay for sin, but I I, I literally think some people are burdened with this. But his death is not sufficient to pay for what I've done. See, they're the other extreme. I've done too much wrong. What Paul is saying is you better repent. You better change your mind. Because you have a wrong view. You better get a Bible view. Verse number five, very quickly. It'll always be like it is now, right? Paul says, But because of your hardened and penitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. I don't know who's here today, and I never know the hearts of everyone, and I've had a conversation recently. Literally, only you and the Lord know for sure if you're saved. You don't know for sure if I'm saved. You probably assume, well, he's the preacher. I get a pretty good vibe. I think he's a Christian, talks good game, but you don't know for sure. Knowing that, I have to say this. Every time the sinner, the lost person, enjoys God's physical blessings, that tasted good. Well, I like that. Every time you enjoy his it, financial blessings a relational blessing. somebody loves you. You, you get to know what, it, you know what it feels like to be loved, and maybe you have love for someone. Every time you experience emotional blessings, hear, hear this. Every time you have a spiritual opportunity to get right with God, but you fight it off and you fight it off, here's what you're doing. You're building a higher and higher wall between you and God, and you are storing up wrath and more wrath and more wrath for the day when God will reveal it. That's what you're doing. I want to propose to you very confidently and biblically a truth. If a person is here this morning and you are convicted of your sin and you know you are not a Christian, or if you're listening to this later on, on some way, audio, on, online or, or by, by CD, wherever you're at, if you're listening to me right now, here's a fact. If you are convicted of your sin, you only have right now to get right with God and turn to Christ. You only have right now. You said right in a little while, you know, a little before noon when you do the invitation. You are not promised the invitation. You see, what are you saying? What I'm saying is, based on this, Paul is saying, do you honestly think your sin's not as bad as others? Okay, okay, I'm convinced of that. Do you honestly think God will just always, like he has to keep giving you opportunity? It'll run out one day. So we only have right now. Yeah, what I'm saying is, if I'm describing you, what you really should do is say, Hey, hold up. Stop everything. I need to get saved right now. Who can tell me how to do it? And we'll get somebody to show you how to be saved. We'll keep right on in here. You don't need to wait. If you make it to the invitation time, you need to make a beeline to get right with God. Today, today's the day. Today is the day. So what if I don't? swift and permanent judgment swift like you're standing next to a, a dam that breaks loose and you have no time to even think swift permanent sorry to be so blunt no chance to go back I'm I promise I'm telling you the truth I'm not here trying to be sensational once you leave this world and you go to the next there's no hey God I'm ready to get saved now this is way worse than I ever thought and it's a lot more real Please, I'm ready to talk now. It's too late. You don't get to do it again. You have now. Now. Third false assumption. Number one, other people's sins worse than mine. Number two, it'll always be like it is right now, right? Nope. Number three, false assumption. Major miscalculation. God's love is going to make him go soft on my sin. Doesn't God love? He does. Doesn't he love me? He does. Well, surely when it's all said and done, God's love's going to make him go soft. There are four principles about the judgment of God. Really, there's more. I had to narrow it down to what I feel, at least I think the Lord led me, are four of the main things that have to do with the judgment of God. First two are very quick. Number one, God will judge. You say, that's pretty simple. It doesn't get any simpler than that. God is the judge. Specifically, I'll tell you, Jesus Christ is the judge. We'll look at that as we move forward in chapter number two. But I'm here to tell you, simple, straightforward, guys, God will judge. Look at verse two and three. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, oh man, at the end of the passage, end of verse three, that you will escape the judgment of God? Verse number five and six, watch this. But because of your hardened and penitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. Number two, God's judgment is righteous. That's the really good news. God's judgment is always righteous. That was what back in verse number two. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls. It rightly falls. Hey, do human courts ever miss it? Have guilty ever been let go? Sometimes they just got the higher-priced lawyer. Sometimes they pulled one over. Sometimes the evidence just wasn't found, was it found in time, found later. Hup, double jeopardy. I'm clear. Sometimes the evidence was there, but it was collected the wrong way, so it's not admissible. Sometimes bribes take place. You guys know this. It's like, man, yeah, wow. I guess a lot of times we do. You, I, what I personally think is worse than letting the guilty go free, unfortunately, sometimes the innocent were condemned. Their whole life shot because somebody... Lied, or twisted it or came to a wrong conclusion or the lawyer didn't do his job hey listen to me I don't have a name for you I'm going to tell you the truth somewhere in this world a human judge just this week brought a sentence down on somebody for embezzlement while he's embezzling and he knows it but the evidence was all there Uh, yeah you're guilty and you're sentenced and away you go and this is how long and he knows full well he's done it now here's the thing no one can ever point to one time, not one time, where God has made a miscalculation or a misjudgment. It'll be righteous. So you hear that and say, okay, good, God's going to have righteous judgment. He is going to judge. His judgment will be righteous. Number three, God judges our deeds. God judges our deeds. Look again, if you would, verse number six. He will render to each one according to his works. I'll read the other verses maybe in a moment. Can I give you the good news? I'm going to read verse 6 again. He will render to each one according to his works. You want to know the good news? I promise you, you're never going to be judged for what I've done. And you ought to be glad for that. Just saying. You're never going to be judged for what anyone else in here has ever done. Here's the bad news. You will be judged for what you have done. Verse number 6 is the main action of this passage. Verse 6 is the main action. You say, then what's verse 7 through 10? Here's where it gets tricky, and here's the controversial part. Verse 7 through 10 gives two sets of evidence that God will use as as he evaluates. So he's going to make judgment based on our deeds. So he is going to judge. It's going to be righteous, and he's going to make judgment based on our deeds. And there's going to be two sets of evidence that are going to come in, and God, therefore, is going to reach one of two verdicts which will have one of two sentences guys there's not like three four options of where you end up I'm telling you every person here this morning every person who hears this you will go to heaven for eternity or you will go to hell for eternity that are the only two and it's going to there's going to be this evidence that's brought in and it's in two categories now here's the controversial part you have a quote in your handout Alva J. McClain notes about verse 6 through 10 he says some say that Paul teaches salvation by works I don't know if you caught that when I read that like, yeah, boy, it did sound like that. And he admits, he says at first glance, it looks that way too. But remember, this is so key. I have this in your handout for a reason. I challenge you go back, read this passage again and again. Here's what you'll find. Remember, Paul is not trying to show men how to be saved in verses 6 through 10. That is not what he's doing. Say, so what is he doing? He is trying to show men why they are lost. So you find no gospel. There is no gospel in this section. He mentions the gospel back in chapter 1, but he is not giving the gospel in this section. He's simply saying you're going to be judged on your deeds. I'm not telling you how to be saved. I challenge you go back and look at it fine tooth. Go line by line. He is nowhere saying how to be saved. What he's saying is here's why you're lost. Here's how you're going to be judged. And the evidence will be piled up. Read Revelation. Read 1 Corinthians Those of you who know your Bible, you know good and well, every time it talks about the judgment, it's in the Old Testament. These books are going to be opened and our deeds are there. And wow, God's going to judge us based on what we did. So deeds matter. You say, so then if I'm really, really good, then I earn my way to heaven. Hang on. The Bible is clear throughout that judgment will be by our works. Catch this wording. Judgment will be by our works, but nowhere does it teach that salvation is by works. where's that in the scripture these are fairly familiar you'll see Ephesians 2 8 and 9 on the screen for by grace let this sink in there's a principle. What about when you come across a difficult or an obscure or a, or, or a, a seemingly controversial section of Scripture? Here's what you need. Listen, Bible principle. I'm going to stop preaching the passage. Give me 20 seconds here. Always step back and, and look at the whole of Scripture. It's like, is that what that's saying? Then compare it to the whole of Scripture, and you'll find, okay, you'll be able to have clarification to make the real understanding of the passage. Here's what the Bible says about how to be saved. These are these verses I'm going to give you are about how to be saved. Romans 2, 6 through 10 is about how you're going to be judged. How do we saved? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Watch this line. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. Romans 3, verse 20. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Say it again. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Galatians 3 verse 11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith. Quick question. You see it already in your handout. Paul wrote all three of those. So you look at chapter 2 in Romans and you're like, man, it seems like is that what he's really saying? Have we missed it all along? All you have to do is turn one page and see Romans 3:20, and you say it's not by works of the law. So here's our dilemma. All right, Jeff, then what in the world is verse 7 and verse 10 talking about? Read it again. Look at verse 7. He's going to render to all, to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality. He will give eternal life. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. And that sounds like, hey, then apparently me doing well and seeking glory and honor and immortality, that's how I get eternal life. No, he's saying it, when he sees that in your life, that person that he sees that in their life is going to get eternal life. Verse number 10. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. You say, then what are these two things talking about? These verses are describing the inevitable actions the inevitable actions to those who have received salvation by faith. Verse seven and, t- and, and, and 10 are not a recipe of how to be saved. They are, they are a, de- a declaration, a description of what automatically will happen in a person's life because they are saved. Look at Ephesians 2:10. I think I put this. yes, look right there. look what the Bible says. This is right after 2, eight and nine. I just read. It's by grace not by works, so that no one will boast. It's a gift. It's free. But watch verse 10 that follows right behind that. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. What Paul is saying is you're saved by grace. God literally just gives you salvation for free. There, have it. I want you to have it. And then because of that salvation, you will go live a changed and different life because God's Holy Spirit will come in you one more time look at verse 7 to those who by patience and well-doing so we ask ourselves what is this patience and well-doing patience and well-doing here it is it's believing God to the point that your belief affects how you live I give you an Old Testament example Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain his brother Cain brought fruits and vegetables Abel brought a blood sacrifice we don't have it recorded in scripture but we can deduce that God showed them that for sin to be covered there has to be blood shed and Abel believes God and it led him to offer a more excellent sacrifice his was a blood sacrifice we look at the the, the children of Israel in the Old Testament they, they believe God And because they believe God, they obey God by offering sacrifices for their sins. The sacrifices, the animals, even the animal's blood does not cover, it does not pay for their sin. But it's symbolic of Christ who's going to come. But watch this, they offer the sacrifices not to get saved, but because they believe God. And God, because I believe you, I'm going to obey. You want us to offer the sacrifice? It's the faith in God that saves them. You say, okay, that's Abel before the law, and that's the children of Israel. Because of the law, what about us today? What is this whole patience and doing well? What is this doing well? Doing well today, you want to hear it? It means a person obeys God by placing their faith and trust in Jesus as Lord. You believe God? God says, do something, you obey it. Watch John 6, it'll be on the screen. John 6, 28. Then said they to him. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus has just told them, don't do works to receive physical food. Do the work of God. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus, here's Bible, guys, Jesus' words. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. You want to know what the work of God is? That you believe in him whom he has sent. You say, what's the work of God? Believe in the one that God has sent. God sent Jesus. Believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, that leads to a life that becomes continuing in good works because God's Holy Spirit comes and lives inside the person you say "Hey, hang on what if I don't want that life verse 8 very quickly but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness there will be wrath and fury there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil the Jew first and also the Greek wrath and fury is what will come wrath and fury is what's in the heart of God toward the lost person's sin which will be turned toward the lost person so what's this wrath and fury MacArthur I really I wish I had time here but I'm gonna just throw it at you ready MacArthur offers wrath as being the strongest you say hey listen I I wish this were not true I don't say this delightfully or gleefully if someone here has yet to surrender to Christ and they don't believe God to the point that when he says hey you want to do the work The work is to just trust in my son. I sent him to you, put your faith in him. You say, well, what if I don't wanna do that? Then wrath and fury is coming. Picture this. MacArthur writes that wrath here is the strongest kind of anger that has reached a fever pitch. But fury is a little different. Fury is vehement anger that rushes along, here's a key word, relentlessly. You need to understand, that's what the wrath of God will be in this person's life, relentlessly. It rushes, and it continues, and continues. Surely it's going to let up. Nope. I remember riding, what was that roller coaster at Universal Studios? The, the Hulk, the green one. How many of you have ridden the Hulk? Some of you have ridden the Hulk, right? And you're going up, and the first time, and you're like, what's this little shoot for? Oh, I see this guy and it's like this is kind of fun it could stop any moment he's describing the wrath of God vehement anger that rushes along relentlessly here's what he says it's the idea of a man's breathing violently while pursuing an enemy in great rage is that what you want from an almighty God picture of man running through the woods to be a Roman soldier but he spotted the one that is due and he's running down. <laughs> relentlessly fourth thing about the judgment of God will be done God as judge shows no favoritism God will judge he will judge righteously he will judge us by our deeds and he shows no favoritism that's very clear in verses 19 and 11 Look at verse nine. There will be tribulation and stress, distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first. Verse number ten, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first. Why is he mentioning the Jew here? Well, as you see as we go through chapter two in the coming weeks. He's going to transition. Some say the whole thing is about the Jew. I don't think so. I think he's talking about the Jew, but also anyone who thinks they're moral enough to earn their way to heaven, and they're not as bad as other people. And it's always going to be as good as it is right now. God loves me, right? And God's love is going to keep him from really bringing the hammer down on my sin. I, I, watch. Catch what I'm about to say. Paul is bringing the Jew into the discussion because they actually had the audacity to say publicly what other people only think Privately gotta get this. You say, what were the Jews? They had the audacity to say publicly, I am exempt from the judgment of God. What? I'm exempt. Here, listen, I'm the exception. Says who? I'm a Jew. And they may even point to a passive scripture because God had this agreement with the nation of Israel as a whole. They think as an individual. In fact, read the old traditions. Some Jews taught that Abraham himself sat very near the opening gate of hell to rescue and make sure that no, even wicked Jew, no Jews go to hell. He's there to make sure of it. That's what they thought. They said actually out loud what other people only think. I'm exempt. I'm the exception. Here's what frightens me because I know it's true. Someone listening to me right now has that same feeling. You wouldn't say it out loud, but it's right below the surface. You're here this morning. I don't know who you are, but I know in a crowd this size, somebody's sitting here, and that's your subtle thought. It's right below the surface. Here it is again. I'm exempt from the judgment of God. I'm the exception. And the next sentence is important. Listen, that's why you don't get saved that's why you don't get saved you honestly in your heart think you're going to pull one over on the Almighty that's why you don't get saved but I also need to tell you I wish it it weren't true but if you end up right then the Bible has been a lie all along what Paul is saying is listen the Jew is not automatically heaven bound because of his pedigree you say what is his pedigree here it is We're the sons of Abraham. We have Moses and the law is written for us. We have a covenant with God. God made a promise to Abraham about all of his descendants, right? We had the prophets. They had the ark and the covenant, the priesthood, the tabernacle, which became the the more permanent temple. The Jews are the very writers of scriptures, humanly speaking, save one minus Luke. Jesus was a Jew. You know what Paul's saying? That is great. I'm one of you. when did you trust Christ? the question when do you trust Christ I don't know if we have any Jews or how many we have in our congregation but if the Jew does not get into heaven automatically because of his greater pedigree then surely we Gentiles don't get into heaven because of our lesser pedigree and you say no no oh, whoa whoa time out I'm a member at the church oh okay check my records just did my taxes. I give ten percent to the Lord's work, and I even give over and above to charitable things. Okay? No, 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 no. My mother sang in the choir. No, no, ho, ho that's not all. My granddaddy was a preacher. You say, why don't you use those? You preachers use those, because that's what we honestly hear. I honestly hear that. By the way, everything I just said, all that's true about me. Everything. My granddad was a preacher, my mom sang in the choir. The whole, all the other stuff. That's wonderful. I'm a member. I think I'm a member here, at Graceview. I'm pretty sure. Whenever, when you did that first vote, that counted. So, but you know the question? None of that matters. That's great. When did you trust Christ? Because according to verse four and five, all this goodness that God gave the Jews was supposed to lead them to repentance, change the way of thinking. You think you're going to heaven just because you're Abraham's kids? You're going to have to repent. You think your sin's not as bad as the Gentiles going to have to repent. The same thing needs to be said of us here today. If you think, well, my sin's not as bad, or it's always going to be, God loves me, he's going to always do this. God, even, even after life, if there really is a bad place and I'm headed there, surely he's going to kind of give me a little intermediary time. No, he will not. He cannot. If he does, then this is a lie. You have him now. Would you bow your head for just a moment? I think in a moment I'm going to have just the worship team sing. I don't know what Chris will pick. The last one wouldn't be a bad one, but whatever the Lord has led him. Do not let any sound distract you this morning. I'm going to be blunt. You ready? I have prayed over today and I, and I am not in charge. God's in charge, but I've pleaded with the Lord. Lord, today needs to be the day for some. So here's my bluntness, you need to put yourself in one of two categories, are you, are you saved and on your way to heaven and you're 100% sure or are you, you know I am not saved. I have never done these things you're talking about or I know about them but I have not yet surrendered. I sang it a while ago but I haven't actually surrendered. Once you've put yourself in one of those two, and not a third, don't invent a third category. It's one or the other. You are either a Christian or you're not. Here's first. If you know you do not have eternal life, I have a question. It's very simple. Do you want it? Say, I'm in the group. I do not have eternal life. Very simple. Do you want it? Yes or no. Do you want it? If you hesitate or if you answer, I'm going to be truthful with you. If you hesitate or say, no, I do not want it today, then the passage is very clear. You are in line to receive wrath, fury, tribulation, and distress. That's Bible. But on the authority of the Word of God, I can tell you this. If you say, Jeff, yes, I want eternal life. It can be yours today. I'm going to say it can be yours along with glory and honor and peace. That's Bible. All of those things are in my future. You say, how? How'd you get it? Well, I sure didn't work my way. You, if you say, I do want it. I want it today. Say, man, this, not you, but this passage is really digging into me today. You will have eternal life the moment you believe God and seek His will in your life.